Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Rahab wanted to know the God of Israel and be identified with him. She was ready to leave Jericho and everything behind her. God saw her heart and made a way for her. He protected her and her house stood while the walls of Jericho tumbled around her. And now here is part three of Cheryl's message titled, Impediment to the Promise. There is no sign that things are gonna change. Nothing. It looks like those walls are as strong as they ever have been. Day three, they again gather in formation. They march out from the camp. The priests bear the Ark of the Covenant. The seven priests blow the horns. It is exactly, exactly the same way Same thing as it was on day one and day two. Still no change, still no visible difference, not even a slight give in Jericho. Now here it's day four. By this time, they know where to stand. They knew who they're marching with. They know how to get in rank. They know what to do. They are sure of their position. They can almost do the march blindfolded. It's the fourth day of silence and marching, and moving, and looking, and there's no change, and they return to camp, and it seems like things are just as they were before. Day five, day five, the men of war gather again, they line up, they take their place, they begin the march out of the camp. I hope it's sounding redundant to you, because it must have sounded redundant to them, And they again encircle Jericho, and there is no change. And they return. Everything is done just as it was on day one, two, three, four, and now five. And they look back on Jericho, and it's as shut up, it's as tall, it's as great and strong as it ever was. Day six. No doubt on this day, one of the reasons for silence is obvious. Because if they're not silent, they might say, here we go again. Here we go again. I don't see anything. You see anything? I don't see anything. It's just the same. Still no difference. They're doing everything God said, but there's no visible encouragement at all. Nothing says this is going to change. No movement at all in the enemy camp. Not even the gates are pried open. It would seem that nothing that they've done so far has made any difference at all. Nothing. They've been obedient and obedient and obedient. They've stayed quiet and quiet and quiet. And no change. No 
change at all. Day seven, they have the promise that this day will be different, but it begins the exact same way. Again, getting in their formation, marching out from the camp of Gilgal with the ark flanked on both sides by the men of war, walking around Jericho, pre-sounding the horns, everyone being quiet, and they go once around, still nothing. They march a second time, returning to their initial point, nothing. Above them is still the tall, impenetrable, stone upon stone edifice. A third time, nothing. A fourth time, nothing. Is this really effective? Is anything really changing? A fifth time, still they keep formation, still they march. It is getting a bit monotonous. Perhaps this is the beginning. Or maybe this reminds you of your prayer life. Perhaps you say, Lord, I have been faithfully doing what you ask. I see absolutely no change in this impediment. I have been doing it. Maybe for you, it's not day after day. Maybe it's week after week. Maybe it's month after month. Maybe it's year after year. And you're not seeing anything. And perhaps the Lord said something to you like, see, this promise is yours. And you get really excited when he gives it to you. And you, as I said, you write your name next to it. And you're like, yes, did you see the promise God gave me? And then here's this impediment that just seems to come down like a wall blocking you from it. And you're praying and you're being obedient and there's no change at all. You keep marching to the Lord's instructions. You keep praying and you are not seeing any visible change. Sixth time around, absolutely nothing. No stone is loosed. The ground does not shake. And now the seventh time, they march around the entire city. They are tired. They are waiting. But it's not until they complete the seventh circuit. And suddenly they're all in place around the city. And Joshua says to the priest, sound the horns. And the horns sound a long blast. And then Joshua says, shout, for the city is ours. The priests take a deep breath. And all together, they give one long blast on the trumpet. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Then Joshua and all the men shout loudly. And suddenly, suddenly, Without any prior indication, the walls fall down flat. I love this word, nafal. Nafal, it's a Hebrew word, nafal. And it means to fall down flat. Years ago, Brian and I were were flying back home from England and we got bumped up. Is there anything as wonderful as being bumped up? I mean, it was great. But I remember we're standing in this line and Brian and I had, we sometimes go different lines to see which line will win. And we were both at the same place in two different lines. And the woman takes my ticket. She begins to tear it up. And I looked at her 
like, what, what are you doing? I want to get on this flight. You know, have I been disqualified? And she looks at me because she sees my dismay. She goes, it's your lucky day. And I'm looking at her like, it is? And how is that? And she's like, you know, you're, you're, you get to lay down flat. I'm like, it's my de- lucky day because I'm going flat? What is flat? You know, I think it's some English term I haven't heard before. And I'm like, flat? What is flat? I'm looking at Brian. Brian's like giving me the thumbs up because they're tearing up his ticket. And I looked at her and I flat. She goes, yes, you know. We're bumping you up to, um, it was like one above. It's like um, business class. She goes, we're bumping you up to business class where the seats go down flat. I'm like, the seats go down flat? I'm so excited I get a flat seat. But when I read this, I think about how the walls fell down flat. <laughs> Nafal. They went down flat. They didn't fall on the people of Israel. They didn't fall out. They fell down flat. They sunk and tumbled and imploded. The protection of Jericho was gone. The impediment was absolutely 100% gone and nothing was keeping Israel from victory. But the battle is not over. It has not even commenced. What we have is only the impediment to victory being gone. But there's one more key and that key is sanctification. You see, sanctification is necessary for victory. Some people follow God's word in the big picture, the big picture. You know, they read their Bible, they fellowship. And once they pray for something or that thing that they prayed for happens, they go right back to their old life, to their old ways. There's no sense of sanctification or of dedicating themselves to the Lord, of a full surrender. It's like, thank you, God, for what you've done. Now I'm going to take it myself and I'll take it from here. And they tend to go out on their own. And they never experience a thorough victory. The wall might be down, but the enemy is still in charge. And there is that need for sanctification Joshua commands that this victory be totally given to God, that the people recognize the spirituality of the conquest. Joshua commanded that as they deal with these people, they are not to take any of the spoils, not the sheep, not the goats, not the food, not the people as slaves, Everything is to be destroyed. Now, just as a side note, because we're such politically correct people these days, let me just say this. We weren't there. We didn't know these people in Jericho. And this is a battle. This is not warfare like we're dealing with. These are not civilized people. And God works uniquely and differently with each culture. And we don't know the conditions or the reasons because he has not called us to this battle. Our battles are different than their battles. 
and we battle with different weapons and by different means. Our instructions are different than their instructions. It was God's call specifically to Israel, and it was between Israel, Jericho, and God. Joshua says that the things in Jericho are accursed by God, and so they are to be banned to Israel. You see, there are certain things as Christians in our sanctification that certain things we are not to do. They are banned from us because to take of that thing would disgrace us. It would defile us. It would bring harm to our family and our friends and those that are close to us. And it will bring a curse and defilement to the whole body of Christ. I think of Hebrews chapter 13, where it says, beware lest a root of bitterness come in you. And it springs up and it defiles others. You see, bitterness is banned to us as Christians. Part of our sanctification is to get rid of bitterness because that will only defile us, defile those around us and bring defilement to the church. Because bitter people like to talk and spread their bitterness. Misery loves company. So he says, this is banned to you. It will curse the whole camp of Israel and trouble it. It can impair, prevent Israel from the promise, from all the promise, the fullness of the promise that God has. Any silver, gold, vessels of bronze and iron are to be consecrated to God and brought into his treasury. You see, this is the first fruits. It is a thankfulness and it is an act of faith to say, we're going to give this all to you, God, because you will provide for us. You will give us other victories, greater victories. So all of this is yours. It is to be given to the treasury of God's tabernacle. Joshua further instructs the spies who went into Jericho in the first place to go and save Rahab and all who are in her house. While everything else in Jericho must be obliterated, this woman of faith with her family and her possessions are to be spared. And it's because of her faith, which was seen by her hiding the spies, and because of the red cord that has been hung outside her window. Now, it's interesting. We were talking in group about how Rahab's portion of the wall is the only wall that part that didn't fall. The rest falls down flat. And I wonder if as soon as she and her family got out, if that also fell down flat. And here is Rahab in her house with the walls falling down on each side. But her house stands long enough for the spies to get her out. She and her family are outside the camp of Israel, but only for a time because she marries one of the leaders in the tribe of Judah. He's kind of a fishy guy named Salmon. I've always wondered if he was one of the spies if this could be like a romantic movie, like when I saw your face, you know, it was like, I just knew like, wow, and you've got faith and I've got faith. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it was a story like Brian and mine as we met at the home Bible study. I'm just wondering. You're allowed to use your imagination. I love that. But I think of uh, the difference between Rahab. Rahab was spared and she was ready to leave Jericho completely. 
She was ready to see it destroyed and everything. She didn't want any more to do with Jericho. She wanted to be fully associated with the people of faith in God. And she was ready to leave Jericho behind. And yet, Joshua had to give a prohibition to those who were in the covenant not to take of the accursed thing. And, and I think, you know, so many times, first generation Christians, they're like, I don't want any more of the world. Just give me Jesus. I've had it with the world. I've been there. It was horrid. It left me so disappointed. But second generation Christians are going around going, you don't want that? Could I have that? Could I listen to that? Could I do that? And they're picking up of the accursed things or they're tempted by the accursed things. The things that brought the first generation Christians into bondage and made them cry out to God and so excited about the covenant. You know, we need to pray for these second and third generation Christians that they will have an experience with Jesus that is so real and so authentic that they won't want the accursed thing that the promises of God would be so beautiful, so strong, so good that they could see the beauty, the glory, the romance of God's story, that they won't want of the accursed things. Rahab would be brought in completely to the camp of Israel. She would marry Salmon. She would become the mother of Boaz, who married Ruth the Moabitess, who was the mother of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Talk about coming into Israel. She didn't just come in. She wasn't just accepted, but she was brought into the very lineage of the Messiah by her faith. Then Joshua places a curse on Jericho because Jericho was meant to be a continual reminder of what God would do to the impediments to the promise if the people of Israel would just follow his instructions, live according to his word, pray, be persistent, continue in his word and in prayer, seeking him and sanctify themselves to his purposes. In verse 26, we're told, Then Joshua charged them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds the city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. Later, we're told in 1 Kings 16.34, this prophecy was fulfilled when the evil king Ahab, who introduced Baal worship to the nation of Israel, when he was reigning, there was a man named Hiel who either was ignorant of the warning of God or maybe was a ball worship and didn't care about the worship of God. And he went out and decided to rebuild Jericho. But somebody remembered the promise and the word of God. Jericho was a prime location because it had a natural spring that is actually a tributary to the River Jordan. But when Hiel ignored the warning of God, it cost him the life of his firstborn, Abiram. And when he hung the gates, his youngest son, Segub, died. 
Joshua 6 ends with this important contrast between those who follow God's word and obey his commands and those who don't. Hiel ignored the commandment of the Lord and it cost him his family. The men with Joshua obeyed and the walls came down and they had victory. We see how God keeps his promises. His promise to Joshua, the impediment of disrespect was gone. To the people, the impediment of Jericho was done with. To Rahab, the impediment of nationality was dealt with. We see how God brings the impediments to his promises down. What is that impediment, that thing that stands between you and God's promise? See, God says, I have given this promise into your hand. But to fully receive it, we must follow his word. There can be no further revelation or instruction until you follow the ones that you already have. Secondly, we need to pray and continue in prayer and continue in prayer. And this is where the persistence comes in. First Thessalonians 5.17 literally says, pray without cessation or resignation. Pray without stopping. How long do we pray? Until until the impediment is no more, until it's down and you look at that place where it once was and you find an empty stone field, a pile of rubbish, you pray until that impediment is gone. Persist, keep obeying, keep praying, keep following his instruction until the promise is completely yours. Imagine what would have happened if the Israelites had been frustrated after day five. I've done this for five days. I'm done. My feet hurt. I'm not going out there again. Day six or day seven. What if they'd stopped it the fourth time around because they didn't see it? What if they hadn't persisted? Pray until the walls fall down. Pray until you receive that promise and then sanctify your labor and the reward to God. Lord, these are your hands. This is your mind. This is your feet, your body. You do what you want. I give this to you. I want to see you glorified by the fruit that comes from this. Romans 6, 13, Paul says, but present yourselves to God. This is what sanctification is. Presenting ourselves to God is being alive from the dead and our members of instruments of righteousness to God. Lord, how can my hands serve you? How can my eyes serve you? How can my mouth serve you? How can my ears serve you? How can my feet serve you? What can I do to serve you? God wants to bring you into all his promises and he has a plan to deal with all the impediments. Don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated. God has a plan. God always has a plan. Do not be presumptuous. Don't go start kicking that wall. Don't yell at that wall. Don't scream at that wall. Don't take 
The weapons of human warfare don't shoot the wall. Don't be presumptuous. It is an impossibility without the word of God, without the promise of God, without prayer and without persistence, it will remain an impediment. But when we bring the word of God, when we bring prayer, when we bring persistence on sanctification, which brings the power of the Holy Spirit, it is a done deal. The wall, the impediment will fall down. So what do we need? We need to know his word, to know his instructions, to pray, to continue in it, and to give ourselves fully over to the Lord. God wants to bring you into all his promises, and he has a plan to deal with the impediments you may face. Don't be intimidated when you come up against an obstacle. Don't pick up the weapons of human warfare. Remember the weapons God has given you. They are the only things that are effective in a spiritual battle. As we stand on God's word and pray with persistence, we will see the power of the Holy Spirit work and the walls will come down. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at the cause of defeat as we continue our Possessing the Promises series in the book of Joshua with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.